What happens when you take a first-time Oscar winner, cast her in a film based on a popular property, and disregard everything that made that property popular with fans in the first place? Yes, you get Catwoman. But Paramount Pictures wasn't one to learn from the mistakes of Warner Brothers. They could do what that studio could not. So, they take Charlize Theron, fresh off her Oscar-winning and unrecognizable turn in 2003's Monster, and cast her in a film based on a popular animated action series with the hopes of absolutely nailing the project. The film was 2005's Eon Flux, and if you remember the film's dismal reviews and subpar box office, you already know that they also dropped the ball on this opportunity. So what went wrong? How does a film with a qualified lead, a fresh director at the helm, and a solid supporting cast fall so short? You'll soon learn that a big part of the problem was the oh-so-common issue of significant studio interference. But don't let us spoil this for you just yet. Sit back, relax, remember the good old times when you watched Eon Flux on MTV, and let us explore what the f happened to this movie. Depending on your generation, the Eon Flux sci-fi animated series, which ran on MTV until 1995, was a part of your late night viewing. The show premiered on MTV's liquid television as a bit of an experiment. Created by Peter Chung, the project began as a six-part series of short films before shifting to five individual short episodes that premiered in 1992. In 1995, ten half-hour episodes were produced and presented as its own standalone series. Critics and fans highly regarded the animation, and the show's plots dealt with more adult concepts missing from most animated series. On the one hand, Eon Flux was a captivating psychological drama while also looking into a dystopian future that dealt heavily with social science fiction. The series follows the titular character, a scantily clad secret agent with many skills, something like a sexier Liam Neeson from Taken. She dabbles in assassination, espionage, and exemplary fight skills that make her the top choice to protect her city of Monica to destroy all the strongholds of the bordering city of Bregna, where its citizens are called Breens. What's complicating things? Bregna is led by her arch nemesis and sometimes lover, Trevor Goodchild, a classic case of love and hate that makes for intriguing bedfellows. Everything about the duo and where they're from is at odds. Monica is a society where rules don't exist, while Bregna is a controlled police state. Eon Flux can also accomplish just about anything, except taking out Trevor Goodchild while he has everything at his fingertips, except for Eon. All these facets pumping through the DNA of the series make it prime for a feature film adaptation, so it's no surprise that a studio would eventually try to make this happen. Phil Hay was one of the screenwriters tasked with penning a story for Eon Flux worthy of the big screen. His previous credits were the underrated teen comedy Crazy Beautiful, starring Kirsten Dunst and Jay Hernandez. He also co-wrote 2002's The Tuxedo, a film starring Jackie Chan and Jennifer Love Hewitt that featured Chan donning a tuxedo that gave him special abilities. It's not exactly one of Chan's best. But there is a co-writer. That man is Matt Manfredi, who also co-wrote Crazy Beautiful and The Tuxedo. Uh, wait, he also had a hand in The Tuxedo? That's what we're working with here? At least the source material for Peter Chung is strong enough that they should be in good enough shape. They just need someone at the helm to steer the ship. Karen Kusuma, who has been married to Phil Hay since 2006, was chosen to helm Eon Flux, and this could very well be one of the first good ideas behind the scenes. 
Kusuma debuted as a writer and director on 2000's Girl Fight, a film that made its leading lady Michelle Rodriguez a star and garnered Kusuma a nomination for Best First Feature at the Independent Spirit Awards. They chose artsy and indie to take on Eon Flux in 2005 before it was cool and edgy. This was a director who was used to working with the $1 million given to her for Girl Fight, and now she would be taken on a popular IP with a $62 million budget. Not exactly big by today's standards, but still a gamble as studios back then and even today seem reluctant to give female directors the chance to take on big budget films. It's a misguided notion that they can't handle it or that a man could do better, but look no further than Catherine Bigelow, Chloe Zhao, Patty Jenkins, or Kathy Yan. They have proven to be more than capable. The fact is that every filmmaker needs all the necessary tools to make a project work. Its success or failure is a product of many moving parts. As a directing choice for Eon Flux, Karen Kusuma was a wise and inspired decision, and it was championed by Paramount Studio Chief Shelley Lansing, who was responsible for spearheading the project. If only Paramount Pictures could get out of the way and let her actually make the film she wanted to make. Or maybe if Shelley Lansing didn't depart Paramount in the middle of production. More on that later. One of the most significant immediate changes for this adaptation, and something that creator Peter Chung would comment on after the film's release, is that the movie's story is considerably different from the original animated series. The most jarring change is that, on the animated series, the Monikins and Breens belong to two different cities. This helps set up the conflict a bit more between the two factions. In the film, they're both part of Bregna. Then there's the characterization of Trevor Goodchild and his relationship with Aeon Flux. There's far more push and pull in the animated series, and the relationship has many layers. There's love, hate, competition. There's more of an intellectual battle of the minds that goes along with their physical abilities. Their relationship is greatly reimagined in the film, much to its detriment. There are also minor random changes. The character of Una, played by Amelia Warner, is Eon's sister in the film, but on the series, she was merely her friend. These kinds of changes really upset fans because they're unnecessary and show that the creative teams aren't entirely respecting the source material. This is something that rarely goes well. Finding the right actress to lead Aeon Flux initially took Kusuma back to her breakout film, Girl Fight. Michelle Rodriguez was originally considered for the part because of her past working relationship with the director. This was first announced in 2003, and the director also stated during an interview with The Witching Hour that Nicole Kidman was also considered for the role. Oddly enough, they would go on to work together on Destroyer in 2018. Somewhere along the line, the Michelle Rodriguez idea was dropped, but another intriguing choice emerged in Charlize Theron, who was fresh off winning an Oscar for playing serial killer Eileen Warnos in Monster. Eon Flux presented Theron with an opportunity to lead a potential franchise, an enticing concept coming from an Oscar win. For Paramount, the actress represented a big enough name to lead the project and make it a viable box office hit. Theron would be joined by Martin Kosalkis as Trevor Goodchild, Johnny Lee Miller, Sophie Akunidal, Pete Postlethwaite, and Francis McDormand in supporting roles. Not a bad cast for a film headed for a lot of trouble. Kusuma and the production team initially chose the Brazilian capital of Brasilia in which to shoot the film. It was believed that the modern architecture there would most resemble the fictional city of Bregnant but the producers rejected the idea outright. They believed that Brasilia lacked the proper infrastructure to support a major motion picture, 
so Berlin and Potsdam in Germany were ultimately chosen after a more extensive location scout. The cool thing for the production was that Eon Flux was allowed to shoot in various locations where access had previously been denied, such as the Adlershof Trulturm and Wind Canal Wind Tunnel facility and the Trepto Crematorium. As the film continued to commence, an accident occurred that would derail the project for over a month. In September of 2004, Theron was doing stunt work on the 10th day of shooting, and the actress suffered a neck injury after slipping during training. Theron would have to go through six weeks of physiotherapy, but just to prove how much of a trooper she really is, she still insisted on doing most of her own stunts when she got back to work. Many of Eon Flux's problems began brewing behind the scenes. As previously mentioned, Shelley Lansing was the studio head that helped develop the film for the big screen, but she transitioned out and was replaced by Donald DeLine. During an interview for Deadline, Kusuma revealed that while she was cutting the movie, DeLine then left the studio and was replaced by Brad Gray and Gail Berman. That means that three studio heads were involved at one point as Eon Flux went through production and its final cut. Kusuma said in the interview, quote, New administrations at a studio typically see the movies from their prior administration as failures, and it's tough to wrap your head around from a business perspective, from an ego part of the business. That's hard to understand. The person who can't control those huge transitional moments is often the director. Kusuma said that the film was ultimately taken from her after she finished filming and it was majorly re-edited in the process. Storylines and characters were altered and the studio felt that she had made more of an art film rather than something that would sell to the masses. That's a funny notion since the original animated series is praised for its avant-garde sensibilities. It's much deeper than the throwaway action piece that they tried to put together in post-production. Adding insult to injury, after taking the film away from Kusuma, they recut the film into a 71-minute version that resulted in some poor test screenings. They then asked Kusuma to come back to edit the movie yet again, but they still didn't support her original vision. Kusuma's cut was reportedly about 30 minutes longer and even featured a different score composed by Johnny Klimek and Reinhold Heil. The studio was not pleased with their score. So they went with Graham Ravel's music for various test screenings during their personal re-edit of the movie. What's a bit unclear is how much of the 71-minute version that the studio cut together is the R-rated cut that some of the producers desired. Alternate versions of scenes were filmed that showed more graphic fights and bullet hits, while others reportedly featured more nudity from Charlize Theron in various scenes. Paramount ultimately decided to go for a PG-13 rating, so a lot of the more intense violence and nudity were cut. A lot of this was at the objection of Kusuma, who felt the film was really out of her hands after filming Wrapped. After not being screened in advance for critics, Eon Flux was ultimately released on December 2nd, 2005. That's not usually a good sign. Even opening during the more robust month of December, which tends to get a bump as people head into the Christmas holiday, didn't help Eon Flux. The film placed second at the box office during its opening weekend, with a gross of $12.6 million, behind the 19. 8 million third weekend of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Harry Potter! No. No. Harry Potter! Eon Flux declined by 64.9% to just $4.5 million during its second weekend and dropped to sixth place. By the end of its run, the film grossed $25.8 million domestically and $52.3 million worldwide. This was all on a reported $62 million budget, 
so Eon Flux was a financial bust for the studio. Reviews were especially unkind to Eon Flux. The film holds a dismal 9% rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes, with a consensus that reads, quote, Eon Flux lacks the gravity-defying pace of its animated predecessor and, despite some flash, is a largely dull affair. The New York Post gave the film 0 out of 4 stars and called it the year's worst movie. Variety called it spectacularly silly, while Entertainment Weekly said Charlize Theron was, quote, stranded in a trashy and derivative glum zone of fashion runway fascism. David Edelstein of Slate was a bit more positive when he said the film was, quote, not that terrible. Have to find praise wherever we can here. In the years since the film's release, it seems like everyone involved with the movie agrees that various aspects of the production were completely mishandled. From going through three studio heads to the studio re-editing the original vision to maybe biting off more than they could chew, it doesn't look like everyone had the same outlook at all in the film. Charlize Theron told Variety in 2017, quote, We f***ed it all up. I just don't think we really knew how to execute it. And it's disappointing, but it happens. Even though Theron had doubts about the film, she respected her director and trusted her vision. During their own interview with BuzzFeed, writers Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi acknowledged that the final cut is 30 minutes shorter than Kusuma's cut. And Hay even said, quote, In tone, pace, style, and character development, there are some big departures. Perhaps the words that cut the deepest were those of creator Peter Chung. He never liked the film's script, and he said, quote, The movie is a travesty. I was unhappy when I read the script four years ago. Seeing it projected larger than life in a crowded theater made me feel helpless, humiliated, and sad. During more of his criticism, he also seems to lay the blame on the studio for what went wrong with the film, citing their desire to make a mainstream action film that would sell to the general public. Chung said, quote, It's possible to make good, unconventional films. It's also very hard. In any case, if you're going to risk failure, I say do it boldly, with conviction. The problem with the movie is its failure of nerve. In all this, Kusuma seems to be the biggest victim of the film's failure. During a chat with BuzzFeed, when Eon Flux flopped, she said her agents told her in a jokey tone that she was, quote, in movie jail now. This concept falls on certain directors when they have a big flop, even if they had other promising and well-received material. Unfortunately, the daggers from this seem to hit female directors even harder. Look at Patty Jenkins in Wonder Woman. The first film is a big hit and critically praised. She's the toast of the town. Wonder Woman 1984's critical reception was much harsher, and suddenly, Jenkins' talents were being questioned on social media. Kusuma went on to direct Jennifer's Body in 2009, and that's a movie that's had its share of marketing issues because the studio didn't know how to handle the concept. The movie has gone on to gain a significant cult following, and the overall experience in the industry has taught Kusuma that she needs final cuts of her films. During a talk with Deadline, Kusuma said, quote, I've had final cut on three movies, Girl Fight, The Invitation, and Destroyer, and that's how I'd like to continue to work. Working independently on a very aggressive budget, sure, I'd like to have more time and resources on future films, but I recognize that sometimes creative control comes at a very high price, and I'm willing to pay it. Eon Flux may not even be on the so bad it's good spectrum, but let it be a learning experience for studios to adapt complex and popular source material. There is no need for big sweeping changes to make things better. When there are too many cooks in the kitchen, projects fall apart, and Eon Flux, unfortunately, fell victim because of this.